a podcast from the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. You're listening to Inspire On The Go. It's your weekly dose of fun, encouragement, real-life conversations, and all things women's ministry, regularly featuring segments from Andrea's radio show, Truth On The Go. If you find yourself on the go, then this is the podcast for you. Now, welcome your host, Andrea Lennon, as we talk about all the great truths that we can take with us as we go through our day. Hey, sweet friends, it's Andrea. I hope that your day is off to a great start. Today, I'm just reminded of the fact that God is always plotting our redemption. I mean, just think about that. The God of goodness, the God of grace, the God of sovereignty, He is for you. He is not against you. And so today, we want to celebrate that. And I have a very special friend with me today in the studio, Tracy Lindsay. Welcome to Truth on the Go. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to share your story. I love the fact that in your story, you can see the purpose of God, the plan of God, the redemption of God. Do you ever just sit back and go, wow? Yes. <laughs> Daily. <laughs> Daily. I bet so. Well, you are the director of Tetelestad House that is located in Omaha, Arkansas. So tell us about Tetelestad House, what that means, and what you do there. All right. Well, I am the director of Tetelestad House, and that is a Greek word meaning it is finished. And those are some of the last words that Jesus spoke on the cross. We minister to women coming out of incarceration. We want them to know that that old way of life can be finished and that there's new life to be found in Christ. Amen. The old way is behind us. There is a new way. And God is calling us to walk in that, to embrace that, to thrive in the midst of whatever's going on in our life. And here's what I love about your story is that we see through your story that God brings purpose to the pain. He takes the difficulties, the trials, the hardships, the areas where maybe you could experience some regret or grief or shame. And he has written a brand new direction with your life. And so we want to get into that and to really share just what you went through and where you are now. So take us back to the beginning to your childhood and tell us a little bit about growing up. Well, when I was seven years old, my parents divorced and it seemed like everything that I knew as safe and love just kind of broke. And I went to live with my mom and my brother stayed with my dad and my mom married another man. And it seemed like overnight, uh, my life just changed. I was in a home where There was violence, alcoholism, and my scope of normal um, was nowhere near normal, Um, but that's what I was raised in. Um, But I, about the fourth grade, I played my first game of basketball and I fell in love with the game and I escaped my home life through my love for basketball. And I knew from a very early age what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to grow up. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to be a basketball coach and a teacher. And that's what I set my sights on. And I practiced hard. I played hard, uh, made good grades in school and just did everything I could to make that dream become a reality. So what position did you play in basketball? I was post. I was you were post. post. Okay. I, so I really don't know anything about basketball. As much as I love sports, what does that mean that, that you were means, post? You know where the block is down by the goal? Yes. That's where I stood. Oh, I love That's that. That's I so stood. important. I always wanted to be point guard. Yes. yes. <laughs> Too tall for that. Too tall for that. Too so you just that. had to kind of post in the middle That's and then right. they would throw the ball to you and you would shoot and score, I'm sure. That's where it was at. See, I'm ready to coach now. You're you're good. <laughs> you're in. We're okay. going to start our own team. That's right. That's right. Well, I'll be the coach. You can be post. Okay. (laughs) That sounds good. (laughs) Okay. So you were just really into school and into grades and into basketball as a way to try to escape what was going on at home. Yes. It was just broken. And I I excelled in school. I I did good there. Um, My senior year, well, about my sophomore year, I met a boy 
and I loved boy and boy loved me. And I started making some choices that were leading me away from my dream. The people I was hanging around with, they didn't have the same goals that I had. Um, They didn't have the same dreams that I had. Uh, So I started making some compromises in my life that were not conducive with the way that I wanted my life to turn out. And my senior year, I was senior class president. I was president of resisting illegal drugs and suicide. I was in FBLA, FTA, FHA, and I had a one-year-old daughter at home. Um, So after graduation, my dream of college was was put back and I married her father and we started a life together. And I was 18 years old and I was at a party one night and someone handed me a plate full of methamphetamine and asked me if I wanted to get high. And without ever thinking, how's this going to impact my life when I'm 42? Um, I tried it for the first time and I was immediately addicted. Yeah, And that's how that works. It was immediate. And I wonder now if looking back, you can see how those little compromises mm-hmm. led to a place you never dreamed you would be. Yes. And we call them at Tetelestai, we call them little foxes, you know, just what you would consider a small compromise where it started with smoking a cigarette on the weekend. Everything I ever said I would never do. I did. And I tell the ladies that I minister to that sin is progressive and it is ugly and it gets out of hand before you even know it. So by the time I was 21 years old, my mother-in-law was raising my daughter and my husband and I were separated and both on our way to prison for the first time for sales and distribution of methamphetamine. And I bet you were thinking, how did I get here? How did this happen? Right, right. How did this is not what I had planned. Right. And the people around you probably as you were growing up, they never dreamed that this would be the path that you ended up on. And I think that, you know, not only is sin progressive, it also reaches every area of our life. It never stays contained. You know, and you think about the relationship with your extended family members, maybe your daughter and how that really impacted all of those relationships. They all suffered. They all suffered. Um, I served a year in the Arkansas Department of Corrections in that time. And the entire year I was there, though, knowing how broken my life had become, um, knowing the extent of my addiction and where it had led me to, the entire year I was there, I knew I was going to use again. Really? I actually couldn't wait to get out to use again. So was that the addiction or was that the escape or was it a combination of both? It was a combination of both. Okay. It was a combination. You know, actually, it was a byproduct of being lost. Right. (laughs) I didn't know that at the time. Uh, But yes, it was a combination of both. And when I was released from prison, I regained custody of my daughter and my husband and I divorced and I met and married my second husband. And he had two children and I had one and we started a life together. And I learned the system. Once I learned the system of parole, uh, once I learned when I would be drug tested, when I would have a home visit, once I learned that system, I began to manipulate it and I started to use again. And I considered myself a functioning addict for the next four years. Okay. Um, so define that for us. What so is a functioning I, addict? I had a job. Um, I went to a job every day. I coached my daughter's intramural basketball team, but I still used any opportunity that I could. Uh, and one day I was sitting in my house and I thought, you know, I'm just, I'm so sick of this. And I got up and I ran and I left my husband and I left my children and I left anyone who ever cared anything about me. And I moved in with a man who manufactured methamphetamine. And the next six years, my life just spiraled completely out of control. I would use anything that would give me that escape. Mm-hmm. anything. You know, we're, we're trying to understand what that's like to be in that place, you know, as an addict. What does that seem like? What does that feel like? What are you thinking during those times? I just remember being so lonely, especially in that last six years of my addiction. Um, I was an addict for 16 years, but the last six years, there were days that I remember just laying in bed and, and I didn't believe in God at this point in my life. I, I 
didn't even, I was a realist. I needed to touch it. I needed something tangible. Um, but I remember just laying in bed thinking, take me out of this world because I was merely existing. It was just lonely. Um, I remembered the life that I had. I remembered the family, the house, uh, the job. And I remembered all of that, but I didn't know how to get back to it. Did you think that that was like out of reach? That like was it was way. just not going to happen for you? That was way out of reach. Yeah. Um, there was there was no way home. Right. And the hopelessness, I think, oftentimes in our life and in our circumstances, if we're not connected to the Lord, if we're not connected to the word, if we're not connected to believers, it is overwhelming. It is like this abyss that we get lost in and there seems like there's no way out. And so you were in that cycle for six years. The, well, 16 years, 16. But the last okay. six just completely lost and broken. And I had surrounded myself with people who would feed that addiction. Um, so there was no one in my life speaking truth. Um, my, my dad was not even a part of my life at that time. He he basically gave me tough love and he said, if you're going to act a fool, you're not going to do it around me. Um, so I, I had no one around me to encourage me, to lead me out, to, to show me a better way. And I had heard, I had been to church. I had heard that I needed the Lord, but I had never responded and never had a personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, so I was just lost. You know, when we talk about being lost, we we're talking about that hopelessness of life apart from Christ. We're talking about the fact that we're dead in our sins. We're dead in our transgressions. We're separated from God. And we're just probably trying to find some element of hope, some element of peace, some element of spiritual light in our life, even if we don't realize it, because we were created in the image of God. We were created to be in relationship with God. And when we don't have the knowledge of the word and when we don't have... You know, people speaking truth into our life, we do turn to just man-made things like drugs in order to escape, but also to try to find some value and meaning. And probably you were doing that with those relationships, those toxic relationships in your life. Absolutely. It says in Ecclesiastes that God placed eternity in our hearts. And I spent 33 years of my life trying to fill a God-sized hole with men, drugs, alcohol, money, anything but God. And I was never complete. And that's where all of our stories have a common theme. We do tend to turn to the things of this world to try to gain purpose and meaning and value and ultimately sufficiency. And it is a journey for us in order to find our place in our relationship with God as he draws us unto himself. And so on the other side of the break, we're going to come back and we're going to hear that portion of your story because I know that there was that moment where God broke through and you responded in faith. So join is on the other side of the break. In just a moment, Andrea will return with a final thought. If you would like to hear more of her teachings, visit andrealennonministry.org. It is the ultimate website for the girl on the go with Bible studies, video sessions, podcasts, books, and down-to-earth blogs straight from Andrea's heart. Be sure and subscribe so that you can stay connected. Again, that's andrealennonministry.org. Now, let's hear a final truth from Andrea. So we're back and we're talking to Tracy Lindsay from Tetelestad House, which means it is finished, which is all a picture of God's goodness and his grace. And we are hearing your story, this powerful story of redemption, of purpose, of God's healing. And where we left off before the break is that you were in this just deep struggle with drugs and addiction and just mess, right? I mean, is that is that fair? Mess would be a good word. What happened next um, in your story? Ah, oh, God's grace. Um, one day the house I was living in um, was busted and I was arrested that day and I had enough charges that day to offer me 30 years mm. in the Arkansas Department of Corrections. Were you terrified? 
I don't even think I was. I don't even think I could put two and two together at that point. Um, I had used every day for the last six years. So I, I still saw a way out. The guy I was arrested with, when he bonded out of jail, he went to rehab. And while he was in rehab, he gave his life to the Lord. And he kept coming back to me and he kept telling me about this new life that he had with Christ. And he had started going to church and he wanted me to go to church with him. And I just remember I was running so hard from God. I wanted nothing to do with church. I had prayed. Um, I had prayed as a child and, and I felt God didn't hear me. And, and I just had this unbelief. And one day, literally, he drugged me from a crack house um, to a church house. And I met with the, the guy who was going to preach the sermon that night. I had graduated with him. And he preached a message that night. And to this day, I couldn't tell you what he preached on. But when they did the altar call, I got up from my seat and I ran to the front of that church and I fell down on my face and I cried out to God. And I said, God, if you're real and you exist, you have to prove it. And you have to get me out of this because I can't quit. And this woman came down and, and she laid her hands on me and she prayed with me. And I cried and she prayed and I cried and she prayed. And when we finished praying, she said, you found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Mm. And I had no idea what that meant. I had not asked for forgiveness that day. I didn't even know what that was. But that day, God met me where I was at. A few days later, my lawyer called me and he said, um, I really don't understand what's happened, but I have a three-year plea bargain that you need to come and sign. And instantly, I realized that my time went from 30 years to three years. Mm -hmm. And I thought of that woman and her words mm -hmm. and that prayer. And I thought, okay, God, maybe you exist. Um, so at 33 years old, I was on my way back to prison for the second time, completely lost, broken, alone, and addicted. When I got there, I detoxed for the first couple of weeks heavily off of methamphetamine and morphine. And one day I was bored. I had nowhere to go and nothing to do. And I picked up uh, that, that guy who had taken me to that church. He sent me to prison with a Bible. And I picked up the Bible and I read the book of Esther. And I just remember God revealing himself to me in a mighty way in that book. I always loved history. Um, and there is so much history in the book of Esther. And Esther is one of two books in the word of God where the word God is not even in there. I always joke and say that I was so stubborn. God had to kind of sneak in. <laughs> uh, but he really revealed himself to me in that book. And I fell in love with the word and I started reading more. And before long, it was the only book I was reading. I had got called to the parole office one day. And when you leave prison, you need a parole plan. And I had nowhere to go. Everyone I knew was either a drug addict, an alcoholic or a convicted felon. Um, so I I sat down and I, I wrote my dad a letter and I told him what I had done and where I was and that I needed him now in my life more than ever because I had read enough of that book to know that I didn't want to go back to where I had came from. Um, so I, I sent it out and my dad wrote me back and he said, you're coming here and we're going to fix this. So I had a plan and, and things began to fall together. And I mean, I'm in prison and I come to the realization that um, a 16 year drug addiction is coming to an end and there has to be something greater than me. Um, I started going to, to church a little bit. And every time I would read the word of God, I was reminded of my husband and my children and the life that I left behind. So I sat down and I wrote my husband the same letter. Here I am. This is what I've done. Um, and he wrote me back and he told me, I, I'm, I'm glad you're alive, but our marriage is over. And I completely understood that. Um, but every day at 530, I lived in an open barracks. There was about 65 women in the room. And every day at 530, we would go into what they call count and they count every inmate in the state of Arkansas in the prison system. So I would sit on my bed and I would face the wall and I would pray for my husband and I would pray for his heart. I'd pray for his work. I would pray for the work of his hands. I'd pray for his health and I'd pray for my children. And I do this for several weeks. And one day I go to visitation to see my dad and 
when I walk in the room, my husband and my father are both in that room. And it was at that moment that I sold out and I knew God was real. And I knew that he heard my prayers and I knew he was being active in my life. And I really started committing to going to church then. And I met a young lady who was doing life without parole. And um, there was something about her. Uh, She radiated the light of Jesus. When I met her, I told her, whatever that is that you have, that's what I want. And she told me it was Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're going to get back to that point, but I want to go back and just talk about the honest prayer that you prayed to the Lord in that church service. You go down to the altar and you say, I can't get out, Lord. I need you to show me who you are and to be real to me. And I think that's so poignant because I think for so many of us, when we get to that place of hopelessness, we don't know what to do. But that honest cry of help, it is a cry of faith, whether we realize it or not. And so we need to encourage people right where they are to just cry out to God. You know, it doesn't have to be a perfect situation or a perfect circumstance. It very rarely is. But if we'll cry out to God and just go, Lord, I want to see you. I want to have spiritual eyes to see and to know that you are real. He is, in fact, already at work in our hearts because we're praying that prayer, you know, and so that's so beautiful. So I want to definitely point that out. And then those prayers for your husband and your children. To me, I see that as a picture of God's softening your heart. And little did you know that God was proving himself every step of the way. So let's pick up right there where you see this woman who has this radiance, you know, and we talk about that here on Truth on the Go all the time. This radiance that doesn't point to us, but points to him. That is what God used, I guess, to draw you into this place of salvation. So tell us about that. Okay. And, you know, in those prayers, I think it's so important just to understand. I think my whole life I was seeking the hand of God. um, And at that moment that I fell on my face. I started seeking his face. Uh, but when I met this young lady, she's never going home. She is she is still in the Arkansas Department of Corrections. And there was just something about her that I knew I needed in my life. And she told me about a program inside the prison called the PAL program. And each day you're in a classroom atmosphere and you are hand fed the word of God. There are inmates trained up by chaplains throughout the state and you are hand fed the word of God. And, and you're faced with who you have become, why you've become her and how you can get out. And I was in PAL for several months. One day I was sitting at my table and I was reading in the book of Matthew and I was reading about the virgins in the lamp oil. And I realized that I was a lost sinner fixing to bust the gates of hell wide open without a savior. And I got up and I went into my cell and it was like an eight by 10 cell and I got down on my knees and I asked God to forgive me and I asked him to use me and to use me up. And I told him that day, if there was anything good left in me, it belonged to him. And if he could use 16 years of addiction for his glory, I was given that to him too. And I remember coming out of my room and I, I told the lady that was over our program, she's like the house mom. I said, um, I just got saved. And she said, be sure you tell someone. And I thought, are you kidding me? I'm telling everyone. <laughs> yes. um, I've heard a definition of salvation is when God takes you from a life of Gehenna and places you in a whole new walk. And I knew that day that that's what was happening for me. Yeah, that's that movement from spiritual death to spiritual life. I have been a part of the PAL program a couple of times just as a guest speaker. And I remember being in that room that you're talking about with the women there and sharing God's word. And I remember specifically saying to them that right here in prison, you can be freer than 
than some people are who are in the outside world because it's a spiritual freedom. And that's what you experienced that, that is, day. And that's what I share is I became more free inside that prison that day than I had ever been in my entire life. And that highlights a spiritual truth that we always want to remember. And that is the eternal focus. Our temporary circumstances, they do not need to define us, but rather our eternal relationship with God. That's who we are. Yes. And that is, you know, how we need to think about ourselves, think about our life, think about our past and think about our future. So you were in prison, you were saved and you were on fire for Jesus. Yes. And it wasn't long after coming to faith in Christ that I met someone from the Arkansas Baptist State Convention came in and was telling about a, a mission trip to Haiti. And the Lord burdened my heart with missions. Immediately, I began to pray for his entire team and, and for the mission in Haiti. Um, and I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Um, but when I thought of missions, I thought of foreign missions. I thought of Haiti. I thought of China. I thought of Africa. I didn't think of Omaha, Arkansas. Um, but the Lord immediately burdened my heart. I think there's a, a huge responsibility that comes with the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that's sharing with others, uh, especially women coming out of the same thing that I've been able to overcome. And there's a huge responsibility. I love how you used that phrase for us to leverage our stories for the gospel. Yes. I mean, it's really not optional if we are a faithful follower of Christ, that we would see the redemption he brings into our life and that we would engage in that process, you know, in other people's lives. That is the very reality of us comforting others with the comfort that we have received. Yes. And so you started a ministry in Omaha, Arkansas. Is, is it that simple or I, it was not that simple? Um, it really never is. It was not that simple. <laughs> it was not on the radar for me. Yeah. Um, my first mission trip, I had the opportunity to go to an Indian reservation in Oklahoma and do vacation Bible school. And while I was there, I met a, a Cherokee Indian. He was in the, the church and I walked in and I shook his hand and I just shared my life story with him. And he got real quiet and I thought, you know, maybe it was a little too soon. Like I'm here to spend a week with your kids and I just got out of prison. Right. right. Um, but he was very gracious and uh, our relationship began to develop. And he told me that he was doing jail ministry and that he felt ineffective. Um, but I had given him hope that day. And I thought, God, only you can take 16 years of addiction and use it to give a man hope that's been a Christian longer than I've been alive. That is the goodness of God. That was the goodness. Okay. So let me just ask you real quick. How did you get out of prison? Okay. So I was released um, on an early parole act, actually, uh, after I came to faith in Christ a few months later, the prison was overcrowded and God saw fit to release me early. Um, but not before he had changed my life. I went into the chaplain's office before I was released, and he said, where are you paroling to? And I told him back home, and he said, are you scared to go back to where you came from? And I told him I wasn't because I was leaving that prison a different woman than I had walked in as. When I first read 2 Corinthians 5.17, that the old has passed away and the new has come, I embraced that scripture, and I claimed it as my own, and I put my name in there. And that old Tracy was dead and gone, and there was new life to be found for me. Um, so I did. I paroled out to my dad um, and started life there in Omaha, joined the fellowship at Lakeland Baptist Church. My daughter's Sunday school teacher had written to me every week while I was incarcerated, inviting me to church with her. Um, so when I got out of prison, I, I went to church the first Sunday that I had available. And when I walked in, um, there was a, a guy that I knew as the town drunk. He had been a drunk my whole life, and he was standing in the foyer and I looked at him and I said, what are you doing here? And he said, well, this is my church. I'm sober now. And I just remember thinking, well, then they won't reject me. Mm. Um, I was so glad to see him there. Uh, and this fellowship, they just scooped me up and they loved on me. And, and I did not look then like I look today. Um, I looked like I had just come out of a 16-year drug addiction. Uh, but the fellowship there, they didn't care about where I had been. 
they were only concerned with where I was going. That's so powerful. It was huge. So powerful. That family there is the reason I am who I am today. The love and the support that I got in that church fellowship has raised me up to who I am today. And that reminds us about the purpose of the body of Christ and the beauty of the body of Christ. And really the word as applied to our life is never to put us down or to make us feel like we're moving back, but it's always to help us move forward. And so we're going to have another show together because there's so much more to unpack. We're going to talk about to tell us house and how you formed that and the purpose of that and how people can partner with you in that. But as we finish up this program, I wonder if you could just succinctly or just share with us just really quickly what life and hope in Jesus, what that means to you. On the way down, I was praying about a scripture to share. um, And I was listening to a a pastor on the radio and and he shared uh, Psalm 40 verse two. And it says, he also brought me up out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock and he established my steps And that is so true to my life. Um, I was so lost and I was so broken. And God has just restored all of that in my life. Um, He has, he's restored my marriage. Uh, My children are back in my life. I have grandchildren. He has truly given my past a purpose because every day I get to sow into the lives of women trying to come out of the same thing that I've been able to overcome. And it's, it's hard to find a purpose for 16 years of drug addiction, but with God, Anything's possible. That's right. Well, if you are listening today and you're struggling with your past or maybe an addiction or someone in your family is struggling, I want you to hang on to hope. I want you to cry out honestly to God and know that he will not only establish your steps, he'll also establish the steps of your loved one. Thank you so much, Tracy, for sharing your story with Thank us today. Thank you for having me. So be sure to tune in next week as we talk more about the ministry that came out of the pain and the hardship in Tracy's life. This episode of Inspire On The Go is over, but we hope you'll be back next Monday for the latest episode. In the meantime, you can visit absc.org forward slash inspire podcast to find more episodes and ways to connect with Andrea. Also, if you're in central Arkansas, you can find Andrea's radio show Truth On The Go at 93.3 The Fish and 99.5 Faith Talk Radio on Sunday mornings.